0: everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister. I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but is a match from Podmatch. He helps men everywhere discover how to live a more meaningful and fulfilling life. He has a Ph.D. in chemistry, and he's a certified life coach. He's a Catholic and married with six children. It's Michael Jakewith. Hi, Michael.
1: Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited.
0: I'm excited to have you. Um, we were chatting a little bit before we hit record, and you were from Idaho, and you were giving me some tips on when the best time to visit Idaho is. So I don't know if you want to share that with our listeners or anything else about yourself.
1: Oh, I'd be delighted to. So I live in northern Idaho now. I grew up in northern Michigan. And I remember thinking that I would never find somewhere as beautiful as northern Midwest. But oh, northern (laughs) Idaho in the summer is magical. If you want to travel somewhere to take your kids to check out lakes and mountains and, you know, wildlife out the wazoo, I cannot speak highly enough. About myself, I'm a weird combination. I'm like this analytical, sciencey nerd kind of guy who went off in the corporate world, stubbed his toe real hard many times, and realized you need some people <laughs> skills to make it work. It turns out I love the people skills part so much that I left and went entrepreneurial, and so that's what I get to do full time now. Both my wife and I are full time life coaches, and we tell people we have the best job in the world.
0: Wow, that's so. How long have you been doing the life coach thing? When did you start that?
1: So she started about five years ago, and I'm now in year number two. And so I'm a little slower. My wife will agree with that, but I got there eventually.
0: I'm guessing probably in the pandemic that's in high demand. I feel like a lot of people right now are looking for um you know coaching and counseling and and that kind of stuff. So have you found it like in pretty high demand right now or
1: it definitely has been a factor with the pandemic. Uh, I'm sad to mm-hmm. say, particularly with people who have been in an area that's more severely locked down then they really do end up coming to that place of discomfort a little more quickly and a little more urgent, looking for something to help. But it's it's something that we need all over. I tell people that it used to be that we had like a village tribe and there were the elders in the tribe that you could go and you could talk to and get advice for what to do with your life. And we don't have that anymore. And so this mm-hmm. whole industry has kind of sprung up to fill that gap, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. i agree that's that's really well said i kind of wonder because i do see a lot of life coaches popping up and and but i think it is so needed like i said so i, I appreciate that that commentary that analysis that we we aren't in like in community as much as you know certainly because of quarantine but i think for social media and other reasons too so um yeah that's that's i can't wait to talk more about scripture with you and maybe see how this scripture passage relates to to all of that so you've picked matthew 18 verses 21 through 35. And I'm going to have you read that for us. Um, which translation are you using, by the way? Are you using the New American? Or? I'm using
1: the New American Revised Edition because this is okay. very similar to what a lot of readers will, or a lot of listeners will hear when they go to church. Um, I right. will make a few translational notes afterwards. So bear with me, everybody. This one is a little bit longer. Then Peter approached Jesus and said, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all of his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe! Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put into prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed, and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then, in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt so will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives his brother from the heart.
0: So I'm going to kind of give like where we're at in Matthew's gospel, and then we'll go from there. So in doing some research on this passage, um, my introduction to Matthew's gospel calls this particular section, the church order discourse, like chapter 18 is referred to in my introduction as the church order discourse, which I think is interesting. And chapter 18 does have Some parables and um, Matthew and Jesus, you know, obviously are encouraging people to find find the lost and that there's an obligation to correct the sinful, but to not refuse anyone and that the community is very much like an emphasis here. Also, the number seven for me, like I teach Old Testament. And so I emphasize to my students that numbers are super important. And so when, you know, I think we've, we've all been familiar with like when Jesus says like 70 times seven, like that's not necessarily literal, but there's like symbolic meaning behind those numbers. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this passage. And my first question is always just, why did you pick this passage of all the passages in the Bible?
1: Absolutely. I, I love this passage. And this passage, I think, is one of the key passages to understanding forgiveness. And I picked this passage because I'm sure this has always been true, but particularly now, people really struggle with forgiveness. And the first thing I wanted to highlight with this particular passage that I think should jump off the page at us is nowhere in this passage does the king suggest that the smaller debt was fake or wasn't real. And yet so often when I talk to people who are struggling with forgiveness, they say, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. I probably shouldn't even be upset about it. And I say, no, 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 no. The injustice is so real. Like the king never said your sixty denarii I debt. We'll get to that in a second. Was made up, but instead he says, no, it was real. But forgive for a different reason. And I think forgiveness is just a thing that, whether you look on the political scale, the marriage scale, the personal relationship, children, whatever, we all really struggle with.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's very true. It kind of goes what we were saying earlier too about being kind of disconnected from one another. I think this is my personal thought that, um, you know, we've been disconnected because of the pandemic. We've been disconnected, even though social media is supposed to bring us more together. I think it creates more echo chambers where people are just following and hearing the same messages from like things that they like. And it just gives them back like more of the same rather than having an actual conversation. And so I think that, you know, creates that divide more than bringing us together. And then that makes forgiveness really hard because we're not hearing one another. I don't know if you would agree with that or want to respond to that, but.
1: Yeah, I I would say that's completely true. The the more disconnected we are, the more threatened and unsafe I feel, the harder it is to forgive Mm -hmm. because it feels like I'm further surrendering my safety. And that's not true, by the way. I don't think we are, but I think that's what it feels like in the moment. And that's one of the things that this gospel passage calls so strongly to light.
0: Right. So Jesus uses parables all the time. And like I said, this chapter in particular has the parable of the lost sheep before here where Jesus, you know, encourages us to go in to bring that one who might be lost back. And I think that also kind of goes into the theme of forgiveness as well. But you've picked this one. So I don't know if you want to kind of like maybe break down like how this parable, you know, teaches us this forgiveness if you want to kind of break it down a little more for us. yeah.
1: So let me start by noting some of my objections with the translations. And unfortunately, this is common. But the translational points I first want to pull up is when we find out that the servant owes the master a huge amount, I I so am frustrated with that translation. The more literal translation is 10,000 talents, right? And so 10,000 being the biggest number possible in the ancient world. And a talent being, it's debated, but something on the order of like 200 pounds of gold. What that means is that 10,000 talents, if that were literal, would mean, Two times the total amount of gold in Fort Knox, just to put it in context here, right? And mm-hmm. given that they didn't have a bigger number or a bigger union unit of currency, like Jesus could not have chosen more money if he'd wanted to.
0: And so okay. it's a sum
1: beyond our understanding, right? It's saying like when he's okay. like, I'll put you in jail till you pay it off. Like you can put Michael in jail a long time. I can't pay off Fort Knox twice over like in that while I'm in jail, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just not happening. But what's so interesting is the second one, when they say a much smaller amount, that's more literally translated as 60 denarii. And a denarius is a single day's wage. And so, you know, if you figure you're making 15 bucks an hour, 60 denarii, maybe you're talking a few grand, three, $4,000. That's a reasonable amount of money to pay back. Look, it's going to hurt, but you could do it. And the point that I think Jesus is trying to drive here is fundamentally to say, look, you don't forgive because the debt wasn't real. You don't forgive because he has a reasonable working it off plan. You forgive because the amount that you owe me through sin yeah. is so much more than you can possibly understand. Like it's the most amount it could possibly be that everything else is trivial in comparison. And I think this is so powerful. Like if, if you're in a marriage that's struggling and, and whose marriage doesn't struggle from time to time, and you hear a life coach or a friend, whatever, say, you should forgive your wife. You're like, oh, but you don't understand how badly she's hurt me or vice versa, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? But then I tell people, go look at a crucifix, look at our Lord dying on that cross and understand that whatever you think the debt your wife owes you, which is real, by the way, or spouse, husband, whatever, it pales in comparison to the debt that you owe Jesus. And if you want to throw a fit over the 60 denarii that your spouse owes you, then he's going to throw a fit over the 10,000 talents. And good luck with that, buddy. Good luck.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I think that's a good analogy. As we're recording this right now, we are in the season of Lent. We just started. Um, I think when we air this, Lent will be over. But, um, but I, I can relate to that. Right now, we've I've been discussing with my students about sacrifice and that, like what you kind of gave that example of the marriage. I tell my students like a small sacrifice during Lent is nothing compared to what you know, Christ obviously did for us. And that's why we do this. We do these small sacrifices to remember and honor the huge sacrifice. So I I, I don't know, I was thinking that while you were, were speaking about that. I don't know if you want to connect maybe Lent to this passage, or if you see any connections there, since we are in Lent.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think Lent is such a great opportunity for us, whether we're Catholic or Protestant or or really of any faith variety, as an opportunity to step back and say, where do I fit in the bigger picture of the universe? What is my relationship to God? What is my relationship to my family, my spouse, my coworkers in perspective to that relation to God? And I think this story gives such a great perspective moment. And as human beings, we love to sit down and say, "Oh, well, my boss offended me forty denarii, and I only offended him twenty denarii. So therefore, yeah. he owes me, and I can't forgive him." And to say in Lent, especially, mm-hmm. is the time to step back and say, "No, man, remember the debt that we owe our Lord. When He walked down that way, when He was stripped and beaten, and and if you haven't seen it, watch the Passion. You know that's such a great film that really drives this point home. And to say that's the debt that we're talking about here, and those little." trifling sums are nothing compared to that debt. And that's the perspective I would hope that anyone in this time of Lent would be able to try to reach for.
0: Yeah, I like your um explaining and saying like what the amounts I think are and how Jesus was purposely using kind of like the largest amount possible versus a, a more like doable amount and kind of that contrast I think makes this it does change the way that we we look at this passage. In our society today, I like you've been giving some references about like comparisons. Like I think we do struggle so much with with comparisons. I don't know if you wanted to speak a little bit about like why do we kind of say why do we keep track? Why do we keep tally of like, well, you've done me this and I need, you know, why do you think that's such an issue in, in Jesus' time and today?
1: I, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's been a part of human history through all time. But first yeah. off, the, I, I have to say, I, I think that's a reasonable interpretation to say that the 11th commandment should be thou shalt not compare. And yeah. that's just so toxic of a human behavior in general. But let's break this down. And so I look at myself, Michael, okay? I'm a sinful man. I'm selfish. And so the essence of being selfish means I want more for me, which means I'm going to skew how I look at the world. And whenever I see something that is good, like there is a way to have a holy jealousy to say, oh, look, there's something good there. I say, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, but I don't have that. Boom. I've started a comparison because I am selfish. I look out there and I say, maybe let's say I'm a single man and I have a good friend who's in a happily marriage, right? And I say, oh, that marriage that he has is a good and holy thing. I want to get married because I want that good and holy thing. There's nothing wrong with yeah. this so far. But the moment I say, oh, but now I'm upset you know, because I don't have that marriage or whatever else we've set our eye upon, that becomes envy. And envy is translated oftentimes as sorrow at another's good, or I say anger at another's good. And th- it starts this comparison train just basically because I am looking out for what will benefit me naturally leads into that comparison i almost can't help it whereas the opposite humility leads away from comparison because i worry less about what it is that i'm after
0: yeah i think that is so well said and i just i mean it is interesting because jesus is is in this passage kind of calling them out and saying like don't and and actually this is on my mind too because a couple weeks ago before um the last gospel in ordinary time before Lent was about pulling the plank, you know, the classic with like, you know, don't pull the um, speck out of someone else's eye before you put pull the plank on your own. I think this is kind of in the same vein a little bit of just like, you know, let's not let's not compare, let's not do that, because I can I can easily look to you and say, like, you owe me this and you know, you you struggle with this. Um, and it's just interesting to me that this was such an issue then and it is so much still now. I think again. I'm a media girl. So back to social media, like we look at everything that everybody else has and is posting, but it is kind of like fake. Like I put, I put the things that I'm happy about. I don't put the things that I'm sad about on social media, but anyways, um, that's all kind of, tangential. I don't know if you wanted to respond to any of that, but
1: Oh, sure. That's exactly what social media does. Social media feeds off of that desire to compare. It feeds yeah. off the desire to seek the good. Like, I go back to Chesterton's quote, every man who enters a brothel is seeking God. And I'd say a Facebook's not that much better, but you go there because you're seeking something that is good, and it feeds that same pre, pre you know, tendency to go into that comparison, to go into that, you know, oh, I see. So and so just got a new job. That's amazing. Oh, wait, I want a new job, and it's very, very hard for us as human beings to celebrate other people's wins as their wins. And that's something I think that has to happen, you know, as we look at forgiveness as well it means giving other people permission to have something good that we don't have
0: mhm so let's let's we get into that then, like how can we? be a more forgiving people? How do you think we can embrace this attitude of forgiveness that Christ wants us to have?
1: I think it's important for us to really dig into the idea of justice. So much of the hesitancy to forgive spins around our internal concept and de- desire of justice. And this comes from a young age. Mm-hmm. I have a three-year-old mm-hmm. that just yesterday threw a huge tantrum because he didn't get something that his brother got. And it's just mm-hmm. not fair, he screamed at mm-hmm. me. like This desire for justice is just baked into us. And it never really goes away. We just kind of cover it up and make it look a little bit better, right? And it's first worthy of noting that our sense of justice is actually rarely explicitly wrong. It's mostly just incomplete. And so when I start by acknowledging that whether it's you and your brother, you and your spouse, even you and your children, if you sense an injustice there, the first thing I say is you're probably right. There probably is an injustice there. But by acknowledging that, it gives you permission a little bit to put down your fists and step back and say, and now let's look at the bigger picture. You're right, he owes you 60 denarii. You're right, you could send him to jail for that 60 denarii. But is that what you really want? Does that really serve you? And the ability to forgive, not because I'm that big of a person, or to forgive not because it wasn't that big of a deal, but then to consciously in prayer say, Lord, I know I should forgive and I know I owed you 10,000 talents, but I'm really struggling with this because I see this as real to say, oh, it is a real injustice, but I forgive not because it's not real, but because of what he has done. There's a huge change in mindset right there. And so much I think of forgiveness really comes down to mindset. And what do you think about the other person? What do you think about yourself? Are you diminished by forgiving? That's another great thing that oftentimes comes up as well. I'm not sure if that helps answer the question you're after.
0: Absolutely. No, I mean, oh my gosh, you said so many good things there. I think that was perfect. As you were speaking, um, I was thinking about like my students. um, Oftentimes, you know, they say the same thing that your children would say, like, that's not fair. But still, we have to do what is good for the good of the group or like the common good, like in the classroom and in our world, even. I think that's why forgiveness and um, mercy are so important because, if it were all just about like this sense of fairness, yeah, yeah we're not going to get anywhere because we have to do, somebody has to give and, and and give mercy in order for there to be common good. And one of the examples from scripture, um, and I don't want to stray too much from the scripture you've picked, but um, I'm also working with my students about how each of the gospels kind of begins. And we were looking at Matthew's gospel and how Matthew starts with Joseph and how Joseph, like before he's clued into the whole plan, you know, he wants to divorce Mary. And he even had the right to like, to stone her because that would have been the 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 just yep. thing for adulter- adultery back then but like he chooses what is the bigger plan and, and obviously god helps him and clues him in with the angel and all of that but like but just showing the righteousness he chose like mercy in that moment rather than like maybe what was owed to him and i just i don't know i was thinking of that as you were talking
1: I think that's right on. That's exactly right. And I think so many of us want to sit back and say, okay, here's the deal, Lord. If you send me an angel, I'll forgive and and do this other thing. (laughs) But like, you haven't sent one yet, right? I'm here. Nobody's appeared. I'm by myself. So I'm going to go with what I think. And, And my response to that is, really? Are you sure? because i just read you a bible verse that was sent exactly to you and and don't forget the final sentence which i deliberately left on there which is so shall it be done to you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart like our lord's not messing around here like yeah. Yeah. I wonder what Joseph was told. Uh, I don't know if you watch the Chosen TV series. They put out a new little Christmas thing Mm -hmm. uh, this last you know, Christmas of 2021. And there's this cute scene where Joseph and Mary are comparing each of their messengers that they came. And it's very cute. It's a lovely thing. I have nothing but positive things to say in general about the Chosen. But I feel like they kind of missed an opportunity. I bet, I don't know, but I bet that Angel and Joseph had some hard conversation. Like,
0: mm-hmm. I know that if
1: I were Joseph, I'd be like, what? Wait a second here. You want me to what? Like, there had right. been something going on. I'm sure he was more holy than me, too. So maybe there's less than I'm imagining. <laughs> but I think our Lord's words here are meant to be taken seriously. Like, He rarely speaks with such direct threat of saying, mm-hmm. if you do not do this, this horrible thing will happen to you. Like, that's pretty strong language. And yeah. That, that counts to me as like an angel appearing to tell me that. Like, I don't know how much smart direct one really wants.
0: No, I think it's a really good point because Christ isn't, you know, he often does do these parables, which we have to kind of have podcasts about to break down, like, what are these parables? But, uh, you know, every once in a while, he'll give us something very direct. And later in Matthew's gospel, I'm thinking of like Matthew 25, where he pretty much says, like, this is how you're going to be judged. Did you clothe the naked? Did you feed the hungry? Did you do, you know, like, If you didn't do these things, like you didn't do them to me. So bye bye. And like, I think that you're right. This last line here about, you know, unless you forgive, I'm not gonna, I I totally, yeah, I agree with you. This is a case where he gives his parable, but then also explains the the terms and the message for sure. Um, oh, and also
1: the fact that he explains it publicly. So many of his parables, he, he explains, you know, much more just to the disciples. And to me, that also sends kind of an emphasis about saying just how important this concept is and how dangerous it is to ignore this. Because he's like, look, you know, the seeds, I'll explain that one in private, right? But this one, <laughs> yes. you guys got to get this one right. And right. what's so funny to me is he chose the parable to do that that I think is one of the hardest ones to struggle with. Like emotionally, if I think, okay, there's good seed, there's bad seed, and you can be one of the two. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I don't feel as emotionally invested as I do trying to forgive the guy who just punched me in the ultimate frisbee game a few weeks ago because he thought I was cheating. Like like there's a different level of, of emotional investment of myself going into the forgiveness equation sometimes, I think. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that you make a really good point that that's probably why, because this is so necessary and so important and so difficult for many of us. That's why he really is trying to emphasize it and like break it down for us. Um, I don't know. What else would you like to say about this passage, Michael?
1: I think the other thing I want to really say is just to offer people a glimpse into the heart of the father by looking at his capacity for forgiveness. And here's what I mean by that. Um, In my periods of my life, Especially before I converted, I really struggled with pornography, and before I converted, I did a lot of stuff that I'm not proud of. Right, and and truth is, since I've converted, I've not been a saint. And I think it's very easy for us to, in darker moments, be overwhelmed by our own sense of sin and say, "This is too much." Like I've confessed this in the confessional, I've repented this before God too many times. I I think I probably run out of you know forgiveness cards from God, right? And I think it's really important that. Jesus starts the parable by highlighting the inordinate amount of mercy that the Father, in this case representing the King, is willing to offer us. And like, it's just so hard to really wrap one's brain around the idea of 10,000 talents, right? And like, that's just an amount of money, like, if it were literally twice Fort Knox. And to understand that God has that much forgiveness for me. I think it's really powerful as well, because we can never give someone something that we don't give ourselves. And if we don't forgive ourselves and accept the Lord's forgiveness as it comes in, it's super, super hard to, if not impossible, to forgive somebody else. And this is just really, really important that I love that our Lord starts with that perspective and gives us this glimpse into the heart of the Father.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. I started by kind of saying that 70 times seven was something as a child when I'm hearing this. I'm like, really? You know, I'm thinking of it literally and then coming to know that like numbers are significant. I love how you broke down like the 10,000 talents Um, and seven being a covenant number in the Old Testament. He's saying that like, yes, this is kind of like an infinite amount of mercy or a perfect amount of mercy. I promise you that like a covenant is a promise. Like I promise you you know that you will be forgiven this infinitely you know my heart goes
1: out to peter there i, I took peter as a, yeah. <laughs> as a confirmation saint when i converted and one of the reasons why is actually you know there's a number of times in scripture but this is one of the ones where you're like he's putting his best foot forward he's like here you go lord i'll forgive him seven times and he knows that seven means a whole lot right and he's like right. all right i'm about to get a pat on the back and the lord's like uh oh, no sorry still not enough i i my heart goes out <laughs> to the poor guy
0: no, you're so right. Poor Peter, I know. I I feel for him too, and and we all can, I think, relate relate to Peter. But I like how you said that. Yeah, this is a, a story of mercy, but then also a, a direct. It's kind of bookended. Like you have, I will give you so much mercy, and you should give so much mercy. And it's like it's a mandate. You know, we have to forgive. Like otherwise, <laughs> we will be judged on that. We will be judged on how forgiving we are. As we kind of kind of start to wrap up a little bit. You know, the purpose of this podcast is to kind of relate this to our world today. We've talked about how divided our world is, how we need to maybe work on communication and forgiveness. I don't know, any last takeaways about yeah, how we can relate to this passage?
1: Absolutely. I, I think the last thing I want to give people is the invitation that a lot of opportunities for forgiveness, I suspect, are coming up. When I look at our world, politics, trends, um, whether it's the pandemic, people who have high emotions there, there's all sorts of great psychology coming out about why those might be so high, whether it's all politics and some of the new laws that are being passed. The opportunity to forgive injustices, to forgive anger, to give, forgive family members who are on the opposite side of the political or religious aisle who get very mm-hmm. upset. Those opportunities are coming. Just the opportunities mm-hmm. to forgive our spouses as we go into these tougher times. Tensions are higher. We step on each other's toes a lot more often. And so I want to give you all the invitation that this is a time when I think the church and mass and all of Christendom will shine the most because of the forgiveness and mercy we have to offer those around us.
0: Oh, I hope so. i I love that kind of positive spin. I think we've been you know, we've been in this pandemic for two years. We're all exhausted. We've been really tried. We've had to make sacrifices. Um, we've been locked inside our homes with our family members, or we've been um I'm a teacher. It, I had to teach, you know, teaching's just been rough. It's been rough on the students. Like everything is just difficult. But I like that positive spin about like, but this is an opportunity. And I think at the beginning of twenty twenty, I was a little bit, like more hopeful of like, oh, this is an opportunity for us to be compassionate. We're all in this together. We can work together. And two years later, I'm like, man, we didn't do it. So kind of like what you were saying (laughs) about about like the forgiveness. It's like, well, like you were saying about like sin. Like, well, I've I've sinned way too much. I kind of had this attitude about like, well, we've been a mess for two years. So I guess that's just it. I've kind of resigned myself. But I so I like that positive spin of like opportunity is coming. Forgiveness and mercy, it's available and it's, I don't know. I like that. I need that. I need that spin.
1: (laughs) We all do. We all do. I think in so many ways, what America, and in general, most of the first world is coming to, is whether you go with Bishop Barron's post-Christendom or however you want to look at it. It's going to be an opportunity for us to really be different from the world. The more the world moves away from Christ, the more opportunities there are for those of us who stay close to him to look different, and the more painful it will be, and the more we'll have to forgive and extend mercy, but that's the Christian struggle right there. Like That is the opportunity that we've been given. That's why God chose us for this time.
0: Ugh, I love that. I, I needed that perspective. I, I love that. Thank you so much for picking this gospel. It's it's a tough one, but I think it's, it is so relevant today. So I really appreciate all that you um, shared with us. At the end, I give my guests a chance to promote anything. So any websites or any materials or resources you'd like us to check out?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to send you to your listeners to two websites. If you are interested in life coaching or need some help with anything, we, we just got to watch these Olympics, right? And you know, Olympic athlete would have made it there without a coach. And my invitation is if you want a life that's worthy, consider one. If you're a lady, you can check out my wife's website, madeforgreatness.co because God made us for greatness. If you're a man, mine is catholiclifecoachformen.com. So two great websites just to check out and see what kind of, we have a lot of different stuff that we're offering that can really help people out.
0: Awesome. Are you on social media or anything like that? Any places we can follow you?
1: I don't do much social media. And that's kind of a personal choice because I found out (laughs) I didn't like myself when I was on social media, like especially like the Twitter kind of stuff. Like when you only have 30 characters, it's really hard to be charitable. And my wife's better at that. So she's on more of them.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that. I'm actually giving it up for Lent because it does, it just, it sucks your time. And um, we were talking earlier about comparison, so I totally get that. But if you all would like to, that being said, if you would like to check me out on social media, you can find me on Instagram at 7 Mile Chats, all spelled out. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Struckley one M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. And I tweet about things I'm doing in my classroom, about the church and uh, and this podcast. So if you'd like to be a guest or to follow me, you can follow me at those places. Michael, thank you so much for being a guest. And again, thank you for all that you shared with us about the scripture passage.
1: Julia, it was a delight to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I wish you and all your listeners a happy Lent or happy season of Easter whenever they're listening.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.